1: And here we go. Hello everyone. Welcome to Adams on
0: Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We have the latest numbers from the, the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, basically saying that farmers are uh, feeling good about the way things are right now with market prices, but they have some concerns moving forward with some tax proposals and things like that. Purdue ag economist Michael Langemeyer will join us with the latest numbers and a little more background on those numbers in just a bit also there's a a difference in the dairy industry among different groups about how to approach changes and protections moving forward for milk pricing we're gonna talk with Jim Mulhern president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation and while Planting rolls on and farmers in much of the country throughout the Midwest dealing with some wet weather, working around that. The story has been for some time and continues to be very dry conditions for many farmers in North Dakota. We'll talk with a North Dakota farmer about the conditions there and where he's at with planting and his thoughts moving forward as the dry weather there persists. So, lots to talk about on our program today, but let's start it off with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, how are you?
2: Good, Mike. How are you?
0: Plenty going on, keeping us busy, that's for sure. You have been keeping us up to date on a story about an ethanol plant in in Nebraska, Mead, Nebraska, that's had all kinds of problems, and uh, as the process continues to how to deal with it, that's getting kind of... Messed up, too. I mean, all kinds of different things going on, different people involved. What's the latest on this thing?
2: Well, Mike, you know, it's something we, we've been kind of digging on here of late, uh, trying to understand how the seed companies might be involved in this in this situation. Uh, it's, it's kind of a long story, but this plant in Nebraska uh, had used seed that was treated uh, by fungicides and pesticides, and it's really caused a, a, quite an environmental mess there. The plant's actually shut down at this point. Uh, But the cleanup is, I think, just barely getting underway. Uh, And we're not hearing a whole lot from the seed companies involved. We know that a number of seed companies had shipped off uh, seed to this plant um, basically at a dump-off site. I mean, that's just the best way you can put it. Uh, We've also seen, you know, landfills around Nebraska receiving a lot of it. And so uh, we're kind of at a point now where we're trying to find out what the seed companies are really doing here. Uh, why this was allowed to go on as long as it did. Uh, There's just a lot of questions that we don't have the answers to at this point, but it certainly has raised a lot of concerns uh, here in Nebraska. You know, there's really only, as far as we know, one other ethanol plant. There's one in Kansas that had accepted some of these on a very small scale. Uh, But we're we're really trying to find out from the seed companies why this was allowed to go on and, uh, you know, where it's going to go from here.
0: Yeah, this really, as we've said, is an outlier. This doesn't happen throughout the industry. It's just what happened in this particular situation, and it's it's been hard to uh, get a lot of answers, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, it really has. You know, I think, uh, you know, it it feels at this point as if the seed companies really are trying to work behind the scenes quite quite extensively to clean it up, Uh, but they're not really willing to say a whole lot about what's going on, and so um, you know, I, I think we've, we've seen EPA has gotten involved, and, and there is some, uh, some indication that this may be considered as a Superfund site, which would uh, open up EPA to come in and, and uh, monitor the situation and, and uh, you know, look at groundwater and those sorts of things. Uh, but this isn't going away anytime soon. We've got a study that's going to be launched here before too long uh, by the University of Nebraska and Creighton University in Omaha, looking at groundwater and, and long-term health effects and that sort of thing. So... This is going to be around for a while. It's something we'll just have to continue to file follow.
0: Yep, yep. We'll be talking about that for some time to come. Speaking of EPA, they have uh, uh, filed for, with a federal court to toss out three small refinery exemptions to uh, the RFS that had already been granted to Sinclair Wyoming Refining Company. Uh, in the uh, last few days of the Trump administration. I know the the biofuels industry is very happy about this. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes.
2: Yeah, you know, and Mike, one of the things I think that we've seen just with this particular case in general is that, uh, you know, the EPA really has done a complete 180 on how it looks at these, at these exemptions. You know, we saw them argue before the Supreme Court last week uh, defending the Tenth Circuit ruling back in January 2020, and they seem to be willing to really go to the wall here in, in a change of policy. Uh, you know, a lot will depend on that Supreme Court case, obviously. Uh, but we're seeing some action. You know, this Tenth Circuit uh, situation, uh, it seems like this is something that that Tenth Circuit will want to take on. Uh, those, those exemptions that were granted uh, in January of 2021, uh, you know, as the Trump administration was on the way out, uh, they did raise a lot of legal issues, and, you know, and, and it doesn't seem that... Administration was actually following that 10th Circuit ruling and issuing those uh, those three exemptions, and so uh, yeah, it, I think for uh, the biofuels industry, this is a good deal. It looks like EPA really has turned uh, turned the other direction.
0: And it is interesting; uh, the industry is very encouraged by the actions of this EPA on this matter. Yeah. But we're still kind of waiting to see if the administration fully gets behind biofuels in reaching their climate goals, because they talk so much about right. electric vehicles, it makes you wonder yeah. uh, how much are they going to push biofuels?
2: Yeah, you know, and I think that, you know, that you're right, this is a big question that we haven't really seen a lot of answers on, but I, I think, you know, every, every time that we hear about uh, you know, Michael Regan and, and things that he says in certain cabinet meetings and, and so on, uh, you know, he's, he's coming to Iowa today, for instance, visiting the ethanol plant there. Um, I, I think he is on board with this ethanol, this uh, you know the, the benefits of ethanol and the carbon situation. Uh, but you're right; until we see actual policies, until we see, uh, you know, we're still waiting on our RVS volume uh, proposals for 20 and, 2020 and 2021, uh, just for instance. And so you're right; we need to see more action on that front.
0: Yeah, early returns I think uh, for most in ag, especially in the biofuels community, been very positive yeah. towards uh, Michael Regan. Um, So we we do wait and see how that how that's going to play out. Meanwhile, the big concern that many farmers have, and we're we're going to talk more about this in the next segment uh, with Michael Langmire from Purdue, concerns about what's going to happen with tax policies and how that's going to impact agriculture, especially with stepped up basis.
2: Yeah. And, you know, when we hear talk about the estate tax again, um, you know, that really does seem to concern a lot of people. Uh, You know, it's hard to tell you know when you look at the broader industry how the estate tax really affects agriculture obviously there are a lot of people concerned you see a lot of talk on social media from from the ag community about it um all things considered you know the way things are going with ag right now uh the estate tax concern the tax concern stepped up basis that really is the one thing that seems to be uh you know really out there as a concern you know we seem to it seems like things are going in a very good direction with commodity prices, you know, all these things. And uh, you're right. This, uh, how the tax policy plays out uh, as we go forward here is really going to determine, you know, what ag, you know, what, how it views the Biden administration.
0: Yeah. And a big part of the concern is we have more questions than answers. Very short on yeah. details at this point. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update.
2: Yeah, thank you, Mike.
0: DTN reporter Todd Neely up next. Michael Langmeier, Purdue Ag Economist, with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Stay with us. This is AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected. Which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit.
0: Join us every Tuesday for a round the table brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner now. Learn more by visiting BetterCleanerNow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program.
3: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,
1: Each month, we get the latest
0: Purdue CME Group Ag Economy barometer numbers from Purdue ag economist Michael Langmire, and he joins us now. Michael, uh, for a report that doesn't have a lot of change in the numbers from this month to last, uh, still there's a lot in here. I think as we kind of read between the lines, unpack this a little bit, and you give us uh, some background on this, I think there's uh, these numbers tell us a lot this month.
4: Yes, this one was a bit of a head-scratcher, to be quite frank. I mean, the index is very similar to what it was in March at 178. It was 177 in March. But one of the things that was really surprising to me is the index of current conditions uh, declined this month, and the index of future expectations increased. And when we look at questions related to the index of current conditions, there were some real mixed signals. On questions such as, do I think my financial performance is going to be better this year compared to last year, uh, overwhelmingly uh, it, it people said yes. Uh, certainly there's a lot of uh, optimism about land values in the next year. Uh, close to two-thirds think that land values are going increase in the next year. But, but one of the things that, that was really curious to me is the, the Farm Capital Investment Index, which, which keeps track of uh, uh, people's sentiment about buying machinery and, and buildings, actually declined and and I, i'd like to talk about that a little bit further if i may
0: yeah let's get into that though why do you think that's
4: the case I, I think there's a couple things going on there perhaps and then we're going to try to ask some more detailed questions in the next survey uh, to try to get a better handle on this but i i think there's some upward pressure in input input costs and including uh... use used machinery in particular but but I think uh, just as importantly, if not more importantly, I think there's quite a bit of, of price inflation related to buildings and grain bins, and so we're going to add a couple questions in next month's uh, next next month's survey to, to to see if that's if that's what's on people's mind in, in terms of capital investments. If, if there's if they're seeing some uh, pretty large price increases, and that's making them a little bit a little bit less confident uh, to spend money on 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 buildings and machinery.
0: You know what it reminds me of too, and. Uh, we've experienced this in in times of strong markets in the past. Uh, Why producers, you know, always look to higher commodity prices and hope for higher commodity prices? If you're on the selling side, obviously, um, what we're reminded of is not the answer to all problems. And sometimes other problems come along with higher commodity prices.
4: Yes, and then there's another thing I should I should mention is is we don't typically include it in the report. But we have a question related to uh, whether, this, whether this is, a, a, in general, a, a good time or a bad time uh, in, in production agriculture. And we separate that question by crop and livestock producers. And most of the survey respondents are, are crop producers. But we do, have, we do have livestock producers in the group. And there certainly was a, quite a bit of difference uh, in how they answered that question, depending on whether they were crop producer or livestock producer. I mean, livestock producers are very concerned about higher feed costs. Uh, and that's across the board, regardless of what what livestock enterprise you're engaged in, and so and so. Even though uh, you, know, you know prices are really strong for crop producers, that does raise a red flag for livestock producers. And I think that's also uh, something that's contributing to to uh, a little bit of a dip in in the index of current conditions. But, but I think it's important to point out uh, to, to the audience that that even though the the index of current conditions dipped, it's still really high <laughs> compared to what mm-hmm. it has been historically. A dip from. February and March, but it, it's still very high compared to what it's been uh, over most of the life of the survey, which which was started in uh, uh, late 2015.
0: Yeah, and as we've said many times, uh, while overall grain producers feel better when the prices are higher, but there are the concerns about input costs going up and things like that. We're talking with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmire with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. I think the big uh cloud hanging over this right now that keeps uh, many in agriculture from feeling even better is the concern about proposed tax changes when it comes to stepped-up bases and things like that.
4: Yes, we have several questions related to estate taxes and capital gains taxes, uh, and let me just summarize some of some of those questions. Uh, one of the questions we asked is: Is how concerned are you that changes in estate tax policy? Uh, will make it more difficult to pass your farm on to the next generation uh, and eighty two percent were very concerned another thirteen percent were somewhat concerned, leaving only five percent that were not concerned and so and so that's that's a very important issue for agriculture uh, and and that's related to a couple other questions we asked about do you expect capital gains taxes to increase? That was close to ninety percent. Uh, and I would certainly be in that camp, you know, given all the uh, the discussion that there's a chance that capital gains taxes are going to increase. Another issue was uh, there was a, a very large percent that, that were concerned about the, the possible elimination of the step-up in basis, which is very important uh, when when you're inheriting assets from one generation to the next. And so, and so uh, we're going to keep our eye on these estate tax issues because they're very much on the mind uh, of, of farmers, obviously. And...
0: They've been a concern since the election, Uh, many farmers looking at this as uh, something they kind of saw coming or feared would be coming. And we're still waiting for details There are proposals out there, but we don't have finalized plans yet. So we'll be watching that closely, but certainly you can tell it's on farmers' minds. Another interesting question uh, when it comes to COVID vaccinations, what did you learn in your questions about farmers uh, getting the vaccinations?
4: One of the things that, that, that uh, was kind of curious about this, and this has been very consistent, we've asked this question for several months now, but certainly since January, uh, the percentage of, of uh, farmers that, that uh, do not plan on receiving the vaccination, I'll, I'll focus on that group, uh, has been from 28 to 32 percent. So right around that 30 percent. And if you look at polls of the, of the general U.S. public, it's right around that 30 percent. So it's very consistent uh, with the entire U.S. population.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. So, is that number moving much at all?
4: No, it, it isn't. It, it was a, it's a it was a little higher, uh, you know, back when we started asking the question last fall. But it, it was it was never real high. It might have been a third to thirty uh, five percent. You went sometime last fall, but it uh, but it really hasn't. It, I was I thought maybe it would drop a little bit more as vaccinations started to roll out, but it, it really hasn't budged uh, below that thirty uh, percent figure.
0: And kind of connected with that, as we see more in-person events planned for this year, getting back uh, to schedules closer to what we've seen, what we saw before the pandemic, Uh, what are producers saying about their uh, willingness, uh, their desire to uh, attend an in-person event again? Are they going to go back or are they still hesitant?
4: Yeah, we've been asking this question the last couple of months, and this is obviously very important to extension, but also agribusiness. We have a lot of field days, and, and so this is a question that's on a lot of people's minds, and so that's why we've been asking it. Uh, and, and the good news uh, for people that want to hold in-person events is that uh, about 72% are more likely to attend uh, an event, in-person event this summer or fall, so that's, that's quite a bit higher than when we, we've asked that before. Uh, the, the other side of that, though, there still is a group that's not comfortable coming back. And so what that tells me, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in primarily an extension, is we're going we're, we're to go back doing some in-person events, but we're going to have to continue uh, to provide some online educational programming uh, because there is a group that, that either got used to uh, the online programs or, or really would rather do an online program, you know, even if they think it's safe. Uh, and, so that's, and so that's kind of a, a, a question that really has two messages.
0: I think that's interesting. And you see it in a lot of different areas. Uh, And you just talk to your circle of friends and people that you uh, associate with. And you'll find differences of opinion on these things from vaccinations to feeling comfortable being in 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 group settings. Again, Uh, you get a you get a, you know, a different uh, different reactions from different people within your own circle.
4: Yeah, it's widely mixed. It, it's it's like that. If you ask a question related to whether you're comfortable, uh, you know, working at home or, or working in the office, you know, for a lot of us, uh, you know, some of us at least have that choice. There's still a lot of people who would rather work at home, and so and so it, it's similar to that. Yes, uh, as as people start working more in, in the office again, some people are really like that. Uh, they want they 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 like that opportunity to go back to the office uh for example a lot of USDA is still is still uh working at, uh, from their homes but other people would prefer to work from home and so it, it, it's similar to that you know that's it's kind of a it, it kind of changed the world uh to 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 a degree in terms of you know in terms of comfort with with in person meetings uh preferring online training preferring working at home it, it's really changed things
0: Michael, thanks a lot. I think uh, of all the uh, times we've talked about the, the, the new numbers from the uh, barometer, I think this month may hold more information and, and open some windows to looking at uh, people's views on things more than many of those in the past. There's just so much in here. Thank you so much for being with us. Yep. Take care. A lot, a lot going on. Thanks, Michael. Michael Langmeier, Purdue ag economist, with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. The numbers didn't change all that much, but yet there's a lot in there uh, about some very important issues and what farmers are feeling right now and their attitudes towards some of these issues, whether it be vaccinations or tax concerns or whatever it may be. All right, a difference of opinion within the dairy industry on what to do about milk pricing. We're going to talk about that with the President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation next on AOA. (music) Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
1: When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected. Which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to PrecisionPlanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at PrecisionPlanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's PrecisionPlanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit.
5: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Brazil's dry weather was the reason for the higher corn market. In addition, markets are trading on the likelihood the Brazilian drought continues. U.S. plantings came in at 46% complete on the corn side and 24% on beans, some of the fastest progress in history. Winter wheat ratings were at 48% in good to excellent condition, down by 1% on the week and 6% below normal. It looks like much of the corn and wheat belts are expected to get Good rains out of this week's widespread systems. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading 21 and a half cent higher at 701. The September contract up 18 and a fraction at 610. For soybeans, the July contract up 24 and three quarters at 1548 and a half cent. The August contract up 25 and a half cent at 1492 and a half cent. For wheats, Chicago wheat July up 12 cents at 730. Kansas City wheat July up 15 at 703 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat July up 11 and three quarters at 770 and a half cent. The September contract up 11 and three quarters at 774. For livestock, we are seeing mostly lower futures this morning. June live cattle anticipated lower cash in the near term. However, strong demand and higher box beef may make this price look too cheap. Feedlots are hoping for at least steady prices this week. Hogs are certainly showing no bounds as strong demand and tight supplies keep packers aggressive. Consumers show no indication of price resistance. June lean hogs trading 2 cents higher at 11267, $1, the July contract up 47 at 11255. $1, For feeder cattle, the August contract down 207 at 14472, the September contract down a dollar 82 at 14735. For live cattle, the June contract down 40 cents at 11487, $1, the August contract down 40 cents at 11795. $1, I'm Kirsten Rall.
0: There are differences of opinion within the dairy industry about uh, the path forward for dairy pricing. We want to talk about that now with our next guest, Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us.:
6: Thank you, Mike. It's great to be with you.
0: Um, I will not even pretend to understand all the complexities and differences of dairy pricing, of milk pricing across uh, uh, the country. Uh, It's a complicated formula. It it varies uh, different parts of the country, I know. But what we do know, we can all easily recognize the impact of COVID-19 on uh, dairy dairy industry and milk pricing. It's had a big impact. And I know that Within the dairy industry, you are looking for ways to address this moving forward.
6: Well, that's right, Mike. And as complicated as milk pricing is, you know, the issue that uh, I want to make sure to talk about today is uh, is a fairly simple one in terms of uh, the class one, the pricing of class one fluid milk, the milk that is sold in in uh, uh, grocery stores in gallons and half gallons and quarts and whatnot. Uh, that, that is class one milk. It's the milk that is generally priced the highest among the, the four different classes of, of milk in the U.S. And as you mentioned, the pandemic created lots of problems last year. Uh, we, we had some problems with the class one pricing that was due to some changes that, that were made in the 2018 Farm Bill, changes that we frankly had been involved in uh, working with the processing community uh, that had sought some adjustments to that pricing formula. Uh, the result of that was that last year, uh, the changes that were made um, had the unintended consequence of costing dairy farmers over $725 million in lost revenue uh, because of the, the impact of COVID and how that threw the all of the, the milk pricing
0: um, out of whack. So what you are proposing is to adjust the mover for fluid milk every two years based on conditions over the prior 24 months with the current mover remaining the floor. Is that right?
6: That's right. That's in essence Mike. That's what it is and I, I know it's it's uh, it sounds complicated Let me try to strip it down to um, uh, make it as, as simple as I can uh, prior to the 2018 farm bill uh, for the previous um, 17 18 years fluid milk was priced uh, at the the higher of either class 3 or class 4 a differential was added in each of the federal milk marketing orders around the country, added to the the higher of Class 3 or Class 4 in that particular month. That set the Class 1 price. Di- that was working fine for dairy farmers. We didn't have any need to change that pricing structure. A concern arose from the, the, the fluid handlers, the fluid processors running the, the you know the fluid plants, that given the fact that it was the higher of Class 3 or 4, it made it very difficult for them to do risk management on their class one. They couldn't hedge price because they didn't know from month to month what was gonna be the mover. Uh, They talked to us about the negative impact they thought that was having on retail milk sales. Well, all of us want to make sure we're selling all the fluid milk we can. So we sat down with the processing community to try to work out something that that would address their concerns on the inability to hedge. And that's where this formula change came up in the 2018 Farm Bill that used the average Instead of the higher of, the average of class three and four plus, plus a, a factor that represented the value that the higher of had meant to producers over the previous 17, 18 years. And that amount was 74 cents per hundredweight. That was the new formula put in place in the 2018 Farm Bill. It worked fine, uh, generally fine in 2019. I think it could have worked uh, well into the future because it was designed to be revenue neutral. It wasn't to be advantage one side or the other, It'd be revenue neutral. The problem was that the pandemic it threw it out of whack completely, and dairy farmers were the ones who took the, took the hit to the bottom line.
0: We're talking with Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, I mentioned there's a difference of opinion or approach within the dairy industry. And as you know, the Dairy Business Association, Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the Minnesota Milk Producers Association, and the Nebraska State Dairy Association announced their proposal uh, for reform. They're calling it Class 3+. They say it would be a long-term fix to some of these uh pricing problems we've been talking about, not just correcting uh, issues that have, been, that have come up in the past year or two. Uh, what are your thoughts, your reaction to their approach? Well, I would say two things, Mike. Um, one, to,
6: to the first point, there will be proposals coming out to address this situation. I, frankly, expect others as well. And that's what a federal order hearing process is all about. So we will make our proposal. It will go into USDA, likely this week. Uh, if USDA decides to move forward, and we'll be asking for a federal order, a national federal order hearing that will look specifically at the class one price mover, not all class one issues, not all federal milk marketing order issues, because uh, there, that would be a, a hearing that uh, would, would take a long, long time and have, uh, uh, you know, it could be a couple of years to complete something like that. This is a rifle shot approach to deal with a specific issue that arose, uh, became clear, clearly a problem uh, from the pandemic last year. A RIFLE SHOT TO FIX THAT AND USDA WILL DECIDE IF THEY WANT TO TAKE THIS ISSUE TO A HEARING AND IN DOING THAT THEY WILL TAKE TESTIMONY FROM OTHER INTERESTED PARTIES. ANYBODY CAN OFFER A PROPOSAL TO DEAL, YOU KNOW, TO ADDRESS THIS ISSUE. SO I EXPECT OTHERS. Um, THE POINT, the, ONE OF THE POINTS YOU MENTIONED WAS THAT, um, uh, that the, THE CLASS THREE PROPOSAL um, ADDRESSES THE SITUATION IN THE FUTURE. I think the shortcoming of that approach, from my understanding of it, is it does nothing to recoup the losses the producers suffered last year. It was over $725 million. Those losses, frankly, are still accruing because the mover still is underwater from what it would have been uh, using the old hire of formula. What we're trying to do is recoup those and address it going forward. Our proposal would adjust, adjust that Class One mover every two years on a biennial basis and it would essentially be a true up to make sure that the formula is revenue neutral. That is I think one of the strengths of our proposal is it addresses both the, the losses last year and will be an ongoing adjustment every two years USDA would adjust that class one mover to make sure that the, the program is revenue neutral.
0: Secretary Vilsack, certainly very familiar with the dairy industry, uh, recently said that given the division within the industry, he felt it was too soon to make a change in the pricing formula. Are you concerned about that?
6: No, I'm not. I think the Secretary was speaking in general terms uh, about the, the overall situation in the industry. We haven't made any proposal yet. Um, when we come forward, um, that will be something the Department can consider. Um, this this federal order hearing process is one that is an administrative process um, that the uh, the dairy division uh, within the um, USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service will look at our proposal. They'll decide um, if the issues that we raise merit taking to a hearing. Uh, if they do, they will conduct that hearing by an administrative law judge. It is an administrative proceeding uh, to address this. So. All those views will come forward and be part of a hearing process. USDA will take that hearing record, examine it, and they'll render the decision. We're optimistic um, and hopeful uh, that USDA will, number one, move to a hearing as quickly as possible, uh, conduct that hearing in as expeditious a fashion as possible, and then render its decision um, You know, sometime, hopefully later this year. That is our goal. That's our expectation.
0: And um, we're we're optimistic the department will move on this issue. Are you concerned about divisions within the industry over this issue? No,
6: I'm not, Mike. And it, there, I don't really see divisions within within the
0: industry on this. I think the
6: the thing to keep in mind is the Federal Milk Marketing Order program is a regional program. That's you have 11 orders. There was a time when I first came into the industry. I think there were 44 Federal Milk Marketing Orders. They were consolidated in this last reform that was done uh, in, around 1999, 2000, down to 11 orders. But they're regional orders, and each market has different interests. So it doesn't surprise me that a high class three market like different Midwest would want to put forth a proposal to base class one milk off of just class three. But what happens in a situation where class four, milk that goes into butter and powder, What happens when that becomes the higher price between class three and four? We've had that many times in the past and it can happen again in the future. So it's not at all surprising when you're talking about federal milk marketing order issues, a regional program, that you're gonna have regional differences. Um, Our focus as a national organization is to try to balance all of these things and take an approach which will work for the nation's dairy industry as a whole. And that's what our proposal embodies.
0: Before I let you go real quick, uh your thoughts on the administration's approach to dealing with an issue a a trade issue that's long been a concern for the dairy industry geographic indications well
6: very pleased with the the um, administration's um, action so far the um, uh, report came out on uh, uh, late last week from the u.s trade representative's office a a section 301 report on intellectual property issues A multiple complicated uh, terminology but what in that report they um, pointed out the problem of the European Union's um, activities on geographical indications and how they're designed to keep US dairy products out of um, international markets so we're pleased with that recognition this is an ongoing challenge an ongoing issue that we have been working on for some time and will continue to do so I had a chance yesterday to meet with uh, Ambassador Tai the new U.S. trade representative and uh, the GI issue along with issues with Mexico and Canada in USMCA were two of the key areas we focused on. So we're, we're pleased with the response to date and looking forward to working with the administration on these challenging issues.
0: Always good to talk with you, Jim. Thanks for the update. Appreciate it.
6: Mike, thanks. For the, good to be with you.
0: Take care. Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation with an update on some key dairy issues. All right. It continues to be dry in, in many parts of North Dakota. We'll talk with the North Dakota farmer about conditions in his area, where he's at with planting. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel
3: that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike.
5: don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life.
7: So many eye disorders
4: can be treated if caught early.
3: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit
2: brightfocus.org to learn more.
3: This is
0: Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Tara Haskins from AgriSafe Network, here to talk about evaluating personal health and well-being for Mental Health Awareness Month. Tara, farming, of course, is full of personal and professional challenges. What's the importance of Mental Health Awareness Month specifically for the ag community?
8: That's a great question, and I want to say Mental Health Awareness Month is an opportunity for us to focus on the importance of this aspect of health. But the reality is, is that AgriSafe programming has been working in mental health all year long and will continue to do so. Mental health is really vital to overall total farmer health. And unfortunately, the belief may still persist that mental health and physical health are not dependent on one another. And yet that relationship can't be more connected. In fact, productivity in agriculture requires a sound mind and a body. And I think it's important to remember that when one or both of these are not functioning fully, your work and your business can suffer.
0: Uh, and you said one that many times people are reluctant to address. But as you pointed out, there are resources available mm-hmm. and where people can learn more about mental health and well being, right?
8: But AgriSafe recommends that you go to the National Library of Medicine for health information. And the reason why is because that information is evidence based, research based, there are no ads, it's all just free information for you. Medline Plus has a lot of good information if you have questions about maybe a specific mental disorder or medications The one I love on their website is they have a great sheet on what does counseling look like because that might be the big barrier if you're afraid to, you know, seek out a counselor. And so understanding what counseling really is can sometimes relieve some of that fear.
0: That's Tara Haskins from AgriSafe Network. Thanks for joining us Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS. At cooperative ownership recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, the date of April 27th had been circled on a lot of calendars for some time now. That was the day for the big Supreme Court hearing on the waiver issue for the renewable fuel standard. Well, we had an interesting session before the Supreme Court as justices had some hard questions, a hard line of questioning for both sides, both the refiners and the biofuels industry. Here to talk about it is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, what was your takeaway?
6: There seemed to be a good understanding that the law is very clear that this exemption was meant to be temporary for small refiners and the law does not allow EPA to extend exemptions that have lapsed. So you can't extend something that doesn't exist and there did seem to be a good recognition and appreciation of that argument. This program was, was always meant to funnel down
0: the number of small refineries that are exempt from these requirements. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: We continue to check in with farmers in different states about how planting is going this spring. We today go to south, uh, rather North Dakota uh, for an update on the dry conditions there. David Stavatig joins us. He farms south of Grand Forks, North Dakota, grows corn, soybeans, wheat, and sugar beets. David, thanks for joining us. We've heard a lot about how dry it is in North Dakota. How dry is it on your farm?
7: Uh, The topsoil is very dry. It's almost like powder. We are short probably three or four inches of moisture in the topsoil at present time. And it is cold up here. Cold and dry, not a good
0: combination for this time of year trying to get planting done. How much planting do you have done?
7: Oh, uh, I would say probably 85% of the sugar beets are in. Uh, probably 40% of the corn is in around here. Uh, Soybeans, probably 25%, I suppose. Wheat, that should be just about wrapped up here by the end of the week, I would
1: think.
0: How does that compare with a normal spring? Are you behind about where you normally would be, or how would you compare?
7: Oh, I think we're a little bit ahead of a normal spring just because it's so dry
0: yeah you weren't kept out but did you have any uh, uh thoughts about should we even go ahead and plant into it the uh, as dry as it is or or wait for moisture but it just seems like the the rain has continued to miss you
7: yeah we did have about thirty five hundredths of an inch of rain around here on sunday night into monday but I mean, even with the cold temperatures, that rain will disappear just that quick. Um, it is, uh, yeah, there are certain people that waited to plant things because it's so dry, we aren't going to plant till it rains.
0: Um, when you look back at past years, is this one of the driest springs that you can remember?
7: I would say this is probably the driest that I can remember.
0: The uh, forecasts that we've heard aren't real encouraging either. It just seems like you're in that area right now where the, the moisture continues to go around you.
7: Yeah. It's been going south of us. Uh, north of us, it stays dry too. I mean, we're dry all the way up to the Canada-U.S. border. It, uh Mm-hmm. we just rains don't seem to come
0: and this has been going on for some time this not just this spring I mean you've been dry for quite a while
7: our last big rain was last july we had maybe maybe a half wow. an inch if i recall it in august of last year and then maybe another half inch in september uh, we had virtually almost no uh this winter at all we didn't have usually we're probably getting maybe 25 50 inches of snow it can be as high as 100 inches of snow but uh we we didn't have any snow cover. we had a warm march which uh melted all the snow and when we got to april it it has turned cold and it is still cold in may here
0: yeah this weather pattern has been unusual for you uh there in north dakota as you mentioned. Not much snow—that's unusual—and then you got that early warm up, and then now it's cold. uh, In in uh, as you go into May, I mean, everything's just kind of been uh, uh, turned around for you, hasn't it?
7: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It we are probably I would say our highs are going to be 25 degrees below normal, and last night it got down to 25 degrees here. So if we had any row crop out of the ground, they will—they <laughs> didn't make it. I'm pretty sure last night. But about the only thing up in our area here is maybe some of the first planted wheat that was planted probably April 4th. It's just coming out of the ground now, and I don't—I don't expect it to be bothered too much. Uh, no freeze damage from the cold.
0: Wow. I mean, it's one thing to deal with drought. And, and plant into super dry conditions, but then to have a freeze come along on top of it, to, uh, you're you're fortunate that crops aren't further along than they are, as you said. I mean that that's kind of a double whammy here so early in the year.
7: Yeah, for my outlook is we are not going to have an exceptional uh, above average crops. We will be probably below average crops. I'd produce. Sure, I'd, we'd have to have timely rains. I mean. Every time, you know, we'd have to have third to a half an inch every week if we don't get any bigger rains than that. And if we hit June or July where it gets hot and don't have any moisture, our crops will definitely suffer. Yeah, as we
0: all know, when you get in one of these extended dry periods, you can't make it up quickly. It, it it occurred over a period of time it's going to have to come out of it over a period of time so as you said you're going to be counting on those uh those rains at the right time just to get you by just kind of each one to carry you to the next one right
7: yeah yeah we we will definitely need rain timely rain we do not get that it just isn't going to be a very good crop.
0: Every year when a farmer plants a seed, it's with faith and hope that it's going to turn out well. But when you're planting it into dry ground and then see a freeze come, uh, that really, you, you're having faith that it's going to make it through.
7: Yeah, you got to have a little faith that you're going to get a crop and it's going to make it through. But we've been, uh, well, I've been farming a long time, and uh, you get whatever the weather is going to give you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, you, you've seen a lot, but this is certainly sounds like one of the more challenging years. David, thank you for the update. Uh, I mean, like I said, we've heard a lot about how tough the conditions are in your state of North Dakota this year. Thanks for giving us a, a better look at it, and we hope things improve for you soon. Thanks a lot.
7: Yep, you're welcome. Bye.
0: All right. David Stavitig, he farms just south of Grand Forks, North Dakota. As you heard him say, very, very dry. And now very, very cold as well. All right. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us and hope you'll tune in tomorrow right here on AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.